There will be a tomorrow for us. On the night I arrived here, I made a vow to myself that I would survive this hell. The words of Holocaust survivor Lale Sokolov, and hell in this case referring to the Nazi death camp and concentration camp, depending on um, what people were doing there, horrific conditions for almost everyone, Auschwitz-Birkenau. The story has been immortalised, though, in Heather Morris's number one international bestseller, The Tattooist of Auschwitz, which has been translated and is available in Korean as well under the title Auschwitzer Munchinga. And today we get to speak with that author, Heather Morris. Thank you very much for taking the time. Good morning. Oh, thank you for calling me. It's just so lovely to be speaking with you. And, And the opportunity that we've taken, I mean, I'd love to talk to you about this at any time, but the current affairs opportunity has been the recent global commemoration of the liberation of Auschwitz uh, after 75 years. You visited back in 2018, and it's something I've had the distinction of doing, I I wouldn't say pleasure of doing, uh, but but, but it was a a very stirring experience. Can you share your own with us? Absolutely. Look, I didn't go there prior to the book being printed and my finalizing the draft because I wanted to make sure I described it as Lully described it to me, not in my own words and not through my own eyes. So when I did go there was, I think, about fifteen or 16,000 young Jewish students from around the world who gather there every April for an event called the March of the Living, and I joined them. And while it was always going to be emotional, uh, trust me, being with all these young boys and girls who was seeing it also for the first time, was incredibly emotional. I actually probably had my first experience of something like post-traumatic stress disorder after leaving Auschwitz. Um, And I was studying history at the time, so we were studying all of the gruesome details. But it was things like seeing the room full of human hair and the gas chambers themselves that left such a traumatic impression. What did you make of that? Oh, look, um, there is no word. Horrific doesn't describe it. Traumatizing probably better describes it. But for me, I think that what impacted more on me was when I knew I was walking in the exact place where Lully had walked, standing in the exact spot where he had slept and being in that room where there's a plaque saying this is where the tattooing took place and knowing that's where he stood. So I had that personal, emotional connection to very specific parts. Yeah, so for many of us visiting, we would see the anonymous scratch marks on the walls of the gas chamber and be horrified. You were putting visions to the stories that you'd heard. Um, One can only, well, actually scarcely imagine what Lali Sokolov must have thought when he said he would get through this hell. How could he possibly have made that prediction, given how many people died? Look, Lully was a character who had the strength of being about him. And it carried on right till he died at the age of 90. And to him, he was just going to do everything he could. And he considered himself to be an opportunist. And he said to me, I literally never took a step anywhere in that place without looking around to see where the danger was. So I think it was... Being observant where so many survivors I've spoken to, and I've just been in Israel with a 94 and 96-year-old ladies who were there, and they said they were actually zombies. Uh, Their their recollections of a large part of the time there was of nothing because they zombied. Uh, 
But Lully didn't. He stayed observant. But the danger could be a, a virus making you too ill to work. or, or oh, Absolutely. Or it could be just malnourishment. All of the above. Or your guard, your minder, deciding that he didn't like you that day. He had a hangover. He didn't want to do what he was engaged to do. And he could have ended his life at any second of any day. So how did this man, the, the subject of your book, your protagonist, become a tattooist? Look, I don't shy away from the fact, and Lully didn't either, that he really was what could be called a privileged prisoner. He had a role that was considered significant to the SS, and so he did have certain privileges, and by that I mean he got a little bit of extra food. He got the role purely because he was, funny to say, in the right place at the right time. Yes, there he was, being thrown on the death cart with typhus, and the existing Tatavera tattooist saw a friend trying to take him off and helped him. And Pepan, that original Tatavera, he then offered him a role of working with him. That's how he started doing it. And then Pepan just disappeared. And the SS, who already at that point had worked out that he understood and spoke several languages, just literally said to him, you another Tatavera. And you're not going to say no when given that kind of opportunity? You're not going to say no, no, no. It it was not a, a job description that came and you got to consider and apply for. The, the tattooing itself, how different would that have been to the kind of modern luxury and leisurely tattoo process? Oh, brutal. Brutal. He had little blocks that um, had, he called them pins. I've, I've seen pictures of them. They're between a needle and a nail, so they're fairly sturdy. And they were on individual blocks that had the number, each number made out. And to literally place that block with those pins on the skin of another human being and then with your fists stamp it down and uh, and rub green ink into it. Uh, horrific. It sounds more like branding, doesn't it? And and to be given well, that it job, is, yes. it seems impossible that you wouldn't do that job and not be psychologically affected by it. Here's the thing with Lally. When I asked him about that, knowing that for, for Jewish people to have their skin in any way marked is a sin, but to me he said I could do it because those people who I numbered, he called it numbering, not tattooing, he said they were the lucky ones. If they came to me and I made their number, I knew they would get to see the sun come up the next day and just maybe the next and maybe the next week and maybe the next month. Because at that point in time, as they were flicked to the right by an SS doctor generally, to be numbered, they were going to see the sun come up the next day because all those people being flicked to the left didn't get to see the sun come up. I mean, your book deals with this pain, this bizarrely routine aspects of what is such a hellish existence. Even in hell, people will apparently find ways to either survive or not survive, uh, clearly. But there's even a love story in your book. How did you discover that? Well, the first day I met Lully, that was what he said he wanted me to write about, tell everybody about this girl who I fell in love with and loved for the next six decades. For him, that was a significant aspect, the the most significant of his being there, that he met Gita. And here's the thing, actually, in my travels, and I do quite a lot of it now, I have met many other people, children of survivors, who said, you know, my mum and dad also met in Birkenau. And while I'm not saying that this was a, a place, it was Love Island, But this was a community of people thrown together in the most horrendous circumstances. 
and they did reach out for each other and cling to each other. They made families within that community and they made friendships and they made relationships. And there is obviously something very inspiring about finding some good, even in the depths of evil, some sort of humanity prevailing. But critics would say you're in danger of romanticising what deserves to be generally viewed as a hellish story, to be remembered only as something never to be repeated. And and that's almost reminiscent of some of the criticisms of, of Life is Beautiful, which I think is one of the best movies ever made, by the way, so I don't join those criticisms. And I say that as someone whose uh, specialist subject in history was Third Reich history. Um, wow. But but what's, what's your view on those criticisms? How do you defend against them? As Lali said to me, and as every survivor I've met, and I've met hundreds, said every one of us experienced that place differently. And for Lali to have found love and Gita to have found love, that is their story. And I tell it as their story, not as a historical account of what was going on in that evil, horrific place. And I'm not romanticizing what went on there. I am telling of a romance that bloomed there and blossomed there and continued. Why, why not? It happened. And nobody is denying it happened. They can't deny it. We have Lully, we have Gita, we have their friends, survivors. So why can't I tell it? You have to remember that Lully read many drafts of the screenplay that I wrote about this book, or his story, and he loved the fact that I put words that he had said to me into his story and to me conversations and dialogue but they work for me and I just hope they would work for the reader and they wouldn't take offence at the fact that I was fictionalising his story so I could tell it the way he wanted it told. Yeah, well there, there are many things in life that are probably worth taking offence to before taking offence to that, Heather Morris. Thank you very much for sharing the story of your international bestseller, The Tattooist of Auschwitz and also available in Korean, Auschwitz Munchinga. Thank you, thank you so much.